Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. What was it that you particularly like about Judy Garland? She sang to millions and millions of people, and I always felt like she was singing just for me. Mm. It wasn't about ego. It was about singing to some little person in this house, and then you wanted to get out of your house so bad, and she made you think you could. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Somewhere Over the Rainbow, a B-side from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. David. Hey, Eve. How are you? I'm okay. Wait, have I been saying it wrong this whole time? Yes. <laughs> yes, you have been. What the hell happened? David is referring to the fact that Tori, like every other human being on this planet, like really everyone, really, has called this song Somewhere Over the Rainbow, even though the actual on record title is over the rainbow yeah we've got a superfluous hanging somewhere we don't know where it came from where would she get an idea like that from the world and from the words i think in the song yeah that's true too yes the world and the words it really is like the mandela effect right right only we could call it the rainbow effect the rainbow i'll effect. bet you 99.999 percent of the people you would ask on the street what the title of the song is they would say somewhere over the rainbow and they would be wrong. And they would be wrong. <laughs> Jerks. When Tori was on Unplugged and she listed the song just as Over the Rainbow, I thought, you can't just change the title. It's not your song. You think she was doing her own titles? No, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess I never thought of it that way. Right. But yeah. They also and, shortened it to just Voodoo. Voodoo, so. I know. <laughs> voodoo. They just probably read her set list. And I know. Like, you know, yeah. someone got that and they rolled their eyes and they were like, in the springtime of his Voodoo, edit. Got out there, Sharpie. (laughs) So Somewhere Over the Rainbow is actually Over the Rainbow. But we have decided to call this episode Somewhere Over the Rainbow because it's how she lists it on her EP, the Hey Jupiter EP, from which this appears. It's how she introduces it into her canon. So that's, and that's what we're covering. We pride ourselves in our consistency. Exactly. So So now that our first giant expose is out of the way. Yes. How have you been? Let's talk about expose the band. Let's talk about expose. <laughs> no, I, we don't have to. No, no, no. Um, how have you been? 
I've been just fine. I think I'm in a great emotional place for this song. Really? Not a great emotional place in general. Oh. But a great emotional place for this song. Well, that's great and terrible to hear. Yeah. I could use a little bit of escape, so it's either this or the Pina Colada song, oh, I guess. Oh, we should do that one next. Sure. As a drive all night plus. Has she ever covered that in the Lizard Lounge? No. Wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> How's the retreat going for you, David? The retreat is everything I need and hoped it would be. I'm um, already a little sad that it's coming to an end yeah. as we approach the end of the Pele era. This track that we're covering today is the actual official end of Pele releases. Yeah, there's like a couple extra hangers-on, right? We call those Pele era, but they're not on official Pele releases. Mm. And then it's Choir Girl, baby. Oh my God. So do you feel like I'm on fire and landslide or going to be like um, a trip home from the airport after a vacation when you're kind of bummed out yeah and it's all over but yeah. you still have like the memory just there of all the wonderful Lingering. things that happened yeah but then we're going to turn right back around with siren which is like a trip to the airport when you're starting your next vacation right. <laughs> so it's like the lights come on and all that's left is like the smoke from the fog machine and the smell of sage in the air oh my god 2002 2003 you had me at fog machine (laughs) (laughs) well the retreat's going well for me too thanks for asking i was getting there god (laughs) so self-involved i know no it's been going well thank you (laughs) i'm glad good do you have any sour patch kids no i have stopped eating candy on this retreat i don't eat candy anymore this has been a roller coaster we've gone from eating all the candy to eve instituting a no candy allowed policy exactly well we've healed from our breakup uh, on the pele era well and we don't need any more candy <laughs> we got to get our attract a man bods yeah yeah that is very true okay i'm glad we're starting this program together yeah. we can hold each other accountable thank you yeah we could treat the choir girl hotel as a resort oh yeah <laughs> like a vacation shape. yeah oh my god like a like a like a fitness club Seriously, if yeah. I'm going to be next to Raspberry Swirl, I want to look good because like f- you know her body is banging. <laughs> I think she's your cocaine's body's pretty smashing. Really? Too. Yeah. Oh my God, but she's such a bitch. Oh, she's a snake. <laughs> it's been a while since we've covered a song that was a cover. Right. What are your thoughts on Judy Garland, the woman? I'm not sure I ever felt any particular connection to Judy Garland as a performer or as a gay icon, um, but... As a young homosexual child, I guess, I did have a very strong affinity for The Wizard of Oz. Really? my favorite movie as a kid, for sure. You know, I had a version taped off of TV that I would watch when I was like four or five. I'm sure I watched it at least once a week. Mm. Probably more. That's interesting. That and Young Frankenstein well, were my two favorite movies as a kid. And I guess that is kind of a cross section of who I am as a person, right? I guess so. Even back then, I was obsessed with both of the, both of those things. I never considered Judy Garland a gay icon. She's a little before my time. You never considered her a gay icon for you or in for general? Because I'm pretty sure she is. It, well, no, I mean, I'm pretty was... sure the Judy Garland community is. At most, a zip code away from the Tori Amos <laughs> Very right? close. In fact, when we did our graveyard episode and we all sat down in a graveyard to record that episode, we actually sat next to Judy Garland's grave. Mm-hmm. It was exactly where we needed to be. Yes. Yeah. And it's magnificent, that headstone. It sh- it's well, like a whole room. I should hope so. Yeah. It is yeah. not It is not a headstone. It is, in fact, a room. It is a room. Yes. She <laughs> has like, like a mausoleum. Own, yes. She has her own mausoleum. As she should, I think. I guess she's changed the world. All I know is she sang to troops. But we'll get there. The least she could do is get a room. I was never into The Wizard of Oz. I was into much more sophisticated films like Dirty Dancing 
thing. <laughs> Adventures in babysitting. Well, the good news is you don't have to choose. You can have it all. I can have it yeah. all. Thank you, David. I support you in that. I never watched Wizard of Oz until I was an adult. Really? Yeah, ever. No. I had very young parents. I don't know. My parents didn't grow up with it, so they never showed it to me. You never read the books? Nothing? Mm-mm. I mean, I guess Dirty Dancing is a fairy tale of sorts. I could see getting <laughs> yeah. wrapped up and, you know, wanting to go off to camp. And I was in love with Patrick Getting Swayze. swept up Johnny. in a summer romance. Yeah. You're wild. Uh, you're wild. wild. You're wild. I will say, though, so it was. I was an adult. I was long into my adulthood before I realized... Who Judy Garland was. She was a little bit before my time as far as gay icons go. Over the Rainbow is a standard, I guess one could call it. It's one of those songs that is ubiquitous. It's part of our pop culture. Everyone knows that song, even if you've never seen the movie. And I refuse to believe there are many people who've never seen the movie Mm -hmm. at this point. It's just one of those things that is part of your consciousness, even if you can't explain why exactly. But would you say that wasn't actually true of you if you hadn't seen the movie until... Yeah, I of course knew the song, maybe not well, and but I feel like it was embedded in my subconscious somehow. So that when she covered it, I never was connected to her cover either. Mm-hmm. When she covered it on the Hey Jupiter EP, I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting cover to do. It was kind of boring to me. I never really got why. And then I saw her do it on Unplugged and saw that she was having such a, an emotional connection to that song and that it was obviously very important to her or whatever she was going through. And that's kind of the first time I ever opened my ears to the song. And then I started to get what the song was saying. But whenever I hear it in another version, of course, I think Tori first. I don't think Wizard of Oz first. Do you think Wizard of Oz first? Because you grew up with it? For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. We're coming at it from two different perspectives. Someone who is connected only to the Tori version of that song. If I'm connected to that song at all, it's definitely the Tori version. And someone who does not think of Tori first when you hear the song. The one time in my life when I don't think of Tori first. I know. I'm always putting her ahead of my own needs. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm generous that way. You are so generous. You're do a generous you, spirit. Who do you think of first when you think of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas? Cremas? Tori. <laughs> Have Merry, Yourself a Merry a Little Cremas? Cremas? <laughs> Have you seen that vine? That, that girl, Merry Christmas, Merry Crisis, Merry Chrysler. No. I always think of Tori. So there's a vine here. We'll play right here. Happy Christmas. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Chrysler. I always think of Tori Amos for that when, whenever I see that line. Anyway. Powering down like a bizarre robot. Merry Chrysler. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, we're so sad to be ending our retreat soon, but we're so happy that you're here with us. Let's just get to it. Should we? We should. Should we? Yes. Should we? Yes. Okay. The the closer we get to the end of this trip, the closer we get to the beginning of another one. Right. The beginning of our resort vacation. I hate to do spoilers, but I have found a hotel virgin. Did I tell you that? Yes. Yes. Someone who's never heard Choir Girl Hotel, who's going to give us his or her impressions of every track. Oh my God. It's very exciting. I think that's worth teasing. Yeah. Especially because I know who it is. Yeah. So. Very, very, someone very famous. Not in the Tori Amos (laughs) community necessarily. Mm Mm-hmm. But she or he is famous. Okay, anyway. First, we'd like to say thank you to Shay Stymack for her deep research on this song. Thanks, Shay. Shay, I'm gay for Shay. Shay does an amazing job as our researcher. She is incredible. Thank you for everything that you do, Shay. You're wonderful. Thank you. Um, you want to say hello to our Patreon supporters, David? Our hello. New ones? Hello. Hi. He- hello. Ha- hello. 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 Pirates. Hello. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's say hello to our Patreon supporters. There's Stephen Parker. Stephen Parker can't lose. He jumped in at our $5 level and then immediately kicked up his donation to the $10 level. Who are you? Kelsey Hasty? He just loves to support us. He loves love. Thank you, Stephen. That was really nice of you. Hello to Dor Dotson, who's back and better than ever. Wait a second. Hey, Dor. Dor left? No, she changed credit cards. Okay. <laughs> Amy Peak jumped up to a higher level. She didn't peak early. She's just on time. Hi, Amy. Robin Hewitt also jumped up to a higher level. Do it with Hewitt. Hello to Corrine Kalaski, who jumped up at a $10 level. Corrine, please don't take him, even though you can. Heather Mulligan came in at a higher level. What's your damage, Heather? Tom Christopherson jumped up to a higher level. Hi, Tom. Andrew Cherry jumped up to a higher level. He's still the sweetest cherry in our apple pie. Always will be. And April Croft came in at the $10 level. Hello, April. Tomb Raider. Can you believe it? Can you believe all the support that we're getting? I know. Thank you to everybody who listens to our show, who supports our show on any level. Thank you to everybody out there. If you're sending us emails, I <laughs> our inbox is so full right now and I haven't had time to go through it. But now that the Pele season will be over after we do this episode, I'll have time. I'll be mourning Pele and then I'll be able to go through. It's not emails. personal. It's, it's not just personal. business. It's if we <laughs> haven't responded to your email. It's just business. Mm-hmm. Hi. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. This is Judy Garland covering her own song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. But as she calls it, Over the Rainbow. the whole score for the movie Wizard of Oz and but there was no great big ballad and Harold just felt they needed a big song for Judy Garland and so he couldn't think of a thing and he gave up and he asked his wife to uh, drive him out to uh, they were going to go into Hollywood to see a movie he went for a ride he says to his wife Anya that they should go to see a movie at Grauman's Chinese Theater and um, as they were going by Schwab's drugstore, he then says to Anya, stop, I just must jot this down. She stopped the car, and some a melody came into his head, the first few bars of what we now know as Over the Rainbow. He called Yip Harburg, the lyricist, and he played it for him, and Harburg said, I don't like it. He said, that's not a song for a little girl in Kansas. Harburg thought it was too operatic for the show, and it was it was too it was too sort of almost hyperbolic, um, and um, they they couldn't 
agree on it. So they called Ira Gershwin over. Ira Gershwin had gone to school with Yip Harburg. They were best friends. Ira was famous for not liking to do ballads. He liked rhythm numbers. So I think Yipper felt this will work for my side of the bargain now. And so they went to Gershwin's house and uh, on Roxbury Drive. And they went in and Harold played what he had of Over the Rainbow. And Ira said, that's a great tune. And so Harburg bit the bullet and, and said it. Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Where troubles melt like lemon. Brava, Judy, brava. <laughs> I feel so sophisticated when I hear her sing. Well, you should see how you look. Oh, thank you. I sat up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I like tightened my tie, but I'm not wearing, I'm just wearing Bluetooth headphones on my neck. Yeah. You managed to like look casual in your sophistication, oh, thank which you. is a delicate balance that most people can't achieve, but it's effortless. And oh. I'm in a onesie. Um, okay. So, but it so, looks like a tux. But it looks like <laughs> that would be amazing. Somewhere Over the Rainbow first appeared on Tori Miss's. EP, Hey Jupiter, which was released on August 20th, 1996. That was the third single from her album, Boys for Pele, following Tallulah and Cut a Light Sneeze. Yep. Preceding. Well, simultaneously released with Professional Widow. Yeah. Yeah. And preceding. She got that double A. In the v- springtime of his voodoo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a good time that was. Are we going to do a special episode for the voodoo remixes in single? <laughs> no. But I want to talk about Tori and her sheep onesie. You know, that sheep onesie haunts me can i tell you why yeah because i think you should because i'm baffled because as i you know when the sh- when the episodes are done and i put them together when they're done ready to go out to the public the last thing i do is i put together the episode artwork mm-hmm. and if a song is a single i like to keep the single artwork as part of the artwork that we designed for the show and i have no idea why it did not I didn't use the sheep costume for the voodoo episode, and it haunts me to this day because I can never use it again. I can never use those pictures because those are voodoo pictures, yeah. and I didn't use them. And I guess I could change it. I can always change it, but I, you know, I get it right the first time or don't do it. That's why we used to take so long on these episodes. It's like we gotta make sure it's right. And yeah. I had the same experience when I was doing our advent calendar Christmas countdown and that <laughs> sheep picture was in the running. I wasn't like quite getting the right caption for it and I had to make some tough decisions and cut it for uh, something else. But there's always this year. There's always this year. Maybe that'll come back and we'll do another advent calendar. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. You were good at that. Um, okay. The original songwriting credits belong to Harold Arlen as a composer and Yip Harburg as the lyricist, originally sung by Judy Garland and arranged by Murray Cutter. Hmm. You want to read a little bit from the Wikipedia article I for the song? So. I think so. Do I th- it, David. I think we need to familiarize ourselves with the original yeah. before we can dip our toe into Tori's troubled waters. This is a lesson for us as well. We Not only are we teaching a masterclass, we're taking a masterclass. <laughs> On October 7th, 1938, Judy Garland recorded the song on the MGM soundstage with an arrangement by Murray Cutter. 
2019, take six. In September 1939, a studio recording of the song, not from the film soundtrack, was recorded and released as a single for Decca. In March 1940, that same recording was included on a Decca 78 four-record studio cast album entitled The Wizard of Oz. Although this isn't the version that appeared in the film, Decca continued to release the cast album into the 1960s after it was reissued on disc, a 33 and a third album. The film version of Over the Rainbow was unavailable to the public until the soundtrack was released by MGM in 1956 to coincide with the television premiere of The Wizard of Oz. The soundtrack version has been re-released several times over the years, including a deluxe edition by Rhino in 1995. After The Wizard of Oz appeared in 1939, Over the Rainbow became Garland's signature song. She performed it for 30 years, singing it as she had for the film. She said she wanted to remain true to the character of Dorothy and to the message of being somewhere over the rainbow. So that was a clip that we played when we played the song earlier. That was a clip from the film that we were all familiar with. This is a clip of the original from that cast album. So you can see that it's a little different. Since we're talking about Judy, here is a performance that Shay, our wonderful researcher who put together our wonderful research document, here's a performance that she found and she made a note that says, damn, Judy. And Shay doesn't often comment in the notes, so when she does, you, you know, know it's, it's really something. Yeah, you know it's hot, you know it's fresh. <laughs> Give it to us, Judy. Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are Far behind me Where troubles melt like lemon drops Away above the chimney tops That's where you'll And here's, just for kicks, here's another version by a young Liza.
Oh, I feel like we can now finally get to Tori. <laughs> she doesn't get enough airtime on this show. She doesn't. Yeah. We really should focus on making her the central theme of the show. She should have her own show. Oh my gosh, she should co-host with us. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? I do want to give a shout out to our co-hosts from our last two episodes, Saker Hines and of course, Dorothy Dotson. Delightful. Um, this is from Really Deep Thoughts Fanzine, issue 10, 1996. The extraordinary thing about her singing was that, as always, she grew in power and command as the evening went on. Rarely had there been such a direct, uninterrupted line of pure emotion from performer to listener. She enveloped each one of them in her tenderness, her gaiety, her loneliness, her longing. She was singing to each, and the words were words of absolute belief. The audience reacted to her magical ability to overwhelm, to mesmerize, to control, and to devastate, to reduce them individually and en masse to pure emotional response. Now, are they talking about Tori or are they talking about Judy? Who can say? Who can say? And I love that quote. Untie the knot. It goes on to say, 20 years ago, these words were written about another performer, yet they apply perfectly to the response concert goers have to Tori's performance. I agree. Quote, whatever she did was of a miraculous rightness. No one who is there would ever forget it. It was the beginning of a legend. These words were written about a concert held 45 years ago. The performer, Judy Garland. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. They're the same person. Twist. Do you think Tori Amos is the reincarnation of Judy Garland? I don't, because she was born before Judy Garland died. Well, your soul can leave your body long before you die. I've, I know mine has. I've met some soulless people. Oh my God, you're so right. And also maybe <sighs> Judy Garland had like some horcruxes. She'd hid her soul in other vessels. Oh yeah. She's, she sent her soul out into the world that little pieces of her soul. I used to think, I don't want to get too crazy on no, this No, this is getting good. Please continue. I used to think that Tori and I had like some spiritual connection, especially when she recorded her second album in New Mexico, My Sacred Land. And she talked about how you feel when you're in New Mexico. It's like, oh my God, she's singing my soul. She knows me. This is us. And then Space Dog, that used to be my song. And then Space Dog, meaning you had also written a song entitled Space no, Dog. No, meaning that I felt like she was singing my story I'm in kidding. certain ways. Yes, of course. But I, I feel like you can give your soul out there in little pieces that people take and absorb and we commingle in that way i think hmm. so maybe as a young and we'll discover here that tori used to listen to judy garland when she was younger that maybe i don't know something about it obviously resonated with her do you think it had an effect on her as far as performing style goes or it's just a coincidence it must have and tori herself has sort of cited male performers as influences on her and i don't know if that's because she really responds more to their style or she was always making a concerted effort to distance herself from other female artists but mm -hmm. when she has spoken about judy garland it's with such respect for the way she was able to make her audience feel mm -hmm. and tori must know on some level that she has the same impact on people mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if she saw judy garland's version of that and sort of tucked that in her pocket right. a long time ago as in i want to do I want to reach out that. to people in that same way mm -hmm. or like a touch or affect people in that same way. Mm -hmm. yeah. That clip we played at the very beginning of the show, of course, that was from Jules Holland, which was one of the very first appearances Tori made in 1995 to promote Boys for Pele. And she said, "Let's." that's where she said she sang to millions and millions of people. And I always felt like she, ju she sang just for me. Amazing, mm -hmm. right? Do you think that moment on that show, and it kind of took her by surprise, right? It doesn't seem ahead of time that they'd prepared that or that she knew that was coming, yeah. right? Do you think that moment at all impacted 
the frequency with which she played that song on the tour, which she was yes. just on the brink of starting. Yeah. And I asked that because it became a staple almost of that tour. And she'd never, she'd done it like maybe once or twice before then. So it seems like an unexpected time for that to suddenly assert itself so strongly in her consciousness and in her live show. And I'm wondering if that moment, watching that clip, having that conversation really triggered something for her. I'll say something in response to your question. That 1995 performance on Jules Holland, Tori strikes me at that time as being really down that day for some reason. When he asks her, let's play this a little bit. First, I want to go back to the very beginning. Now you went, you, you were a child prodigy pianist and you went to um, a top music college when you were a child, a classical, uh, to teach you yeah. concert piano. Did that help you? No. <laughs> no, it didn't help me. She's always usually very diplomatic in her response with, uh, you know, with Peabody. They kicked me out because of this, or, you know, she's never just come out and said, no, it hasn't. No, it didn't help me at all. And, like, really discredits that entire experience. For her to discredit that entire experience, I think she's kind of in a negative place, maybe? Or in a negative mood that day, or a bad mood that day, or something's going on. Maybe she's a little down. In order to just completely discredit that entire experience, right? Mm -hmm. Which we know is not the case. We know that she got something out of it. So maybe seeing that clip and being surprised by that clip when she's in a bad mood, for lack of a better phrase, or when she's down, maybe something about that moment really touched her and reminded her of that song touching her. And subsequent bad moods in the very near future in the, on that tour, maybe it just reminded her of that feeling and reminded her of that song. I think you're right. I'm inclined to agree with you that something happened there on that day, on that show that sort of brought that song to the forefront. And what do you think? Like, has Tori ever been surprised on a show? Maybe the only time she's ever been surprised is we found a bit of your old video. It's never been like a good surprise. Right. Can you imagine or the if she ever... right commercial. Can you imagine if she ever went on Ellen and some guy in like a bear suit jumped out oh from behind God. a dumpster at her? I can't. Why does she do that? Because she likes to humiliate people. It's goofy. <laughs> That's not funny. It's not funny. No. Don't. Yeah. Like I'm here on national television. You're going to make me scream at the top of my lungs. I mean, you know, I love a guy in a costume jumping out at me, but not live on national <laughs> right. television for no reason. <laughs> right. For no reason. I it's usually not even pay for it. It's not even clever. <laughs> it really isn't though. It's uh, dumb. <laughs> so... I just think it was a nice surprise that had, you know, a nice surprise meant to make Tori feel happy and that there's something really nice about Jules Holland doing that. It's very sweet and it's very authentic the way Tori kind of goes like, where is she? And she's looking around yeah, for the for monitor the camera, yeah. so she can really watch it. Yeah. It's not like they're just going to play it in the background for the audience and the viewers at home will be seeing it, you know, yeah. on their TV and they're talking in the background waiting for the clip. Like yeah. she's really watching it and responding to it. So, oh. Way to go, Jules. <laughs> you want to read this quote from Keyboard Review, February 92? <clears throat> and this is Tori talking about the covers that she chooses to play. Well, this is a frank answer. I don't think about it. Really? You don't think, <laughs> At all? You don't think about it, Tori? I just sit down and you know if it works. Usually I do songs by males. I don't do any women's covers because I don't think I can do them as well as the woman who first did it. Maybe I'll do a Judy Garland cover just because of what it could be. Interesting. Hmm. So she holds Judy Garland above kind of a lot of the women. Yes. And a lot of Tori's other influences were a little more contemporary mm -hmm. or from, you know, obviously they're all kind of rock musicians. 
as opposed to stage and screen performers right. or musical theater performers like a Judy Garland. So there's also a lot of magic in that quote. Maybe I'll do a Judy Garland cover because of what it could be. That just brings to mind the idea that she's magically inspired somehow to do a take on it rather than like try to emulate another rock chick. I could never do it as good as they did it first, you know, the way they did it. But there's something like magical about this quote. Because of what it could be, yeah, I'll sing the shit out of it. <laughs> That's probably what she's saying. I do think we've managed on this show to uncover moments or quotes where it's possible that in that moment it inspired something. Yeah. And sometimes we kind of joke about it. Like we've sort of found the DNA of certain moments, mm -hmm. I think, or things that she went on to incorporate into her live shows. Yeah, like I love When that. she's talked about a band or even right. bringing props on stage. Right. Like it took a while for that to happen, <laughs> but eventually a lantern did show a up. A lantern. And boy, was I, it held aloft. You know what? I would... I would love to have that lantern back. It was so corny, but beautiful. I don't know. I loved it. Wasn't it plugged in? Didn't no, it, it was battery like a, operated. No, I think it was not plugged in. It was not plugged in, David. From it. You're remembering a parody of it. Are you sure? I'm positive, David. Has was, there been a parody of it? No, but you're in your mind, you're making it up. I'm pretty sure it was plugged it in. It was not plugged in. I think it had to be because Who was it was out onto the land of America with a lantern uh, that has only like a six inch cable. No really one. long extension cord. I think it was because, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why, it wasn't on the entire song. It would turn on when she held it up. And it's not like she stopped playing for a second to hit the switch. I think it was plugged in and someone was dimming it up from off stage. Do you know uh, nothing my, about... We're going to have to look. Let's David, go to the tape. Do you know nothing about wireless LED lighting? No, I don't. I'm well, sorry. It, it I missed was, your technical theater class today. It was, well, you should have showed up, David. <laughs> you can have a wireless LED light in that lantern and you control it wirelessly. It's called DMX, David. Look it up. Well, fine. This is from the record. <laughs> From September 1st, 1996. In her shows, Amos said she often sings Rainbow right after Me and a Gun, a song inspired by her experience with sexual assault. This is the quote. They made a lot of promises in that song, and they never happened. That whole pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, Amos said. What about all the people who don't win the lottery or have health problems? Sometimes you experience violence and terrible things happen. I believe in rainbows and all that, but there are darker colors. The rainbow contains every color, and it's the shade that defines the light. Oh, that's beautiful. She could mean some people win the lottery and some people have health problems. Yeah. Meaning life isn't fair and you right. don't know why things seem to work out for some people and not others. Exactly. And that the rainbow is not just the light, but it's also the dark. So it's not just light blue, it's also dark blue. It's also, you know, light orange and dark orange. There's darkness to everything. And I love that gamma rays idea, you know? And this quote is reminding me of several quotes we've talked about on our little earthquakes episodes, particularly on Precious Things, where Tori talks about getting to a place where she was able to really acknowledge and give voice to how she was feeling the good and the bad and wasn't about squelching it or trying to essentially slap a happy face on mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. You want to read this from the Akron Beacon Journal from September 12th, 1996. <clears throat> I'll be Tori. You be the interviewer. Adding to her healing process is an adjunct of sorts to me and a gun. The standard somewhere over the rainbow of all things, which she occasionally does in concert these days following me and a gun. The song is also found on her new Hey Jupiter recording with other new songs such as Sugar and Honey. Funny you ask. She says about Somewhere Over the Rainbow, a song she has discussed with Liza Minnelli. 
Judy Garland, Minnelli's mother, sang the song in the classic The Wizard of Oz. Thank you for clearing that up, Akron Beacon. I mean, good to know not every gay out there knows that Liza is Judy's daughter. I'm questioning that whole sentiment, the idea that the dreams you dare to dream really do come true. They might come true, but you might have some scars and wounds you take with you that they don't tell you. The rainbow isn't attained without chasing your demons and your pain. That's awesome. So fucking true. Like, yeah, you can attain your dreams, but you're going to be cut up by the time you get them because you're going to have been through some shit. You got to walk through the fire. Or another way of saying that, as Tori herself said, which really resonates with me, is you have to crawl into the wound Mm -hmm. so the healing can begin. Mm. And you have to be willing to look at those dark places, right? Yeah, that's a beautiful quote. Here's a question for you. When was she discussing things with Liza Minnelli? Apparently, she was hanging out with Liza Minnelli at some point. Just chilling? When do you think that happened? I don't know. She rang her up. Liza, come on over. This is just shocking. There's This is just occurring to me that there might be whole things about Tori Amos we don't know. That's impossible. I can't believe it. We've done our best to call together all of these quotes, and yet there's whole chunks missing from her life. Oh, God. Meaning if Tori was going to throw a dinner party, there's certain celebrity guests who would be on it. And at this point, there's a lot of question marks that yeah. we can't fill in. Yeah. Well, clearly, she threw a dinner party and Liza was there. I wouldn't have guessed Liza. Oh. Gotta say. Me either. <laughs> Although they do have similarities. They're both like show ponies, if you know what I mean, in a, in a positive way. Yes. Like they both love to perform. And raised to be performers from exactly. a young age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to read this from Really Deep Thoughts fanzine, issue 11. RDT. Spring 1998. It appeared in 1998, but it's an interview from 1996 during the tour. And RDT asked, your version of Rainbow is so moving. It's good to hear that it will be on the Hey Jupiter single. And Tori responded. What's so funny is that Liza showed up during the mixing of Hey Jupiter, which is the CD5 with Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I told her Somewhere Over the Rainbow was on it. We chatted. Liza's had quite a hard life. Obviously, Judy wasn't the most stable mother, so I felt like I had to do this version. I wanted her to hear it. She said, why did you want to do that one? I said, because I wanted to go after that. She trails off. She looked at me and said, the illusion that everything was going to be okay in a little girl's mind. When I sing it, that's really the point of view, the reality sometimes, as opposed to when you're five and you hear that song. I love the idea that Tori's in a private recording studio. You know, they have locks on the doors. Liza's like, let me in. And she just comes in and takes over the session. <laughs> she just Why w- are you putting that one on the EP? She just wandered in. She was looking for the restroom. Right. <laughs> barged in. She's like, what? Let me let me tell you the track list and let me tell you what it should be. You think she lit up a cigarette? Probably. She was saying that, yeah. <laughs> Doll. Doll, let me sit on your piano. Why did you want to do that one? Um, Because that's the because, Judy Garland song everyone right, sings. Right, because it's amazing. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so funny to me that Liza just shows up during the recording. Do you think that was the first time they met or they had been like in text communication? <laughs> hey, oh, I girl. think they used to hit the clubs together. Okay. W.Y.D. They were the Paris Hilton and Lindsay yeah, of, their time. of their day, <laughs> which is also a dated reference. Right. Who, who is that girl squad now? I know, right? Us? I don't know. Is it us? No, I think we are that girl squad. <laughs> I just love the idea that Liza and Tori are like texting. W.Y.D. And M. Just recording. H.J. O.M.W. <laughs> emoji. Like woman dancing emoji. Piano keys. I was going to say woman dancing emoji. <laughs> I don't course. know why. That's what they would text each of other. Course. I just know it. <laughs> of course. Who's their girl? Mark. Eggplant. 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 Oh, God. <laughs> and then you a know. little cow because he has great calves, but there's no calves emoji. Cows. Just legs. Calves. 
What's your take on why it appears after me in a gun? I love the quote from that conversation with Liza Minnelli, where it sounds like Tori's really talking about looking at that song from different points in your life. Mm-hmm. And one is as a child, kind of the fairy tale version, when it's all about going after your dreams mm-hmm. and you believe that you'll end up mm-hmm. over the rainbow, so to speak. And with age, you come to discover that that's not always true or that things don't always work out the way that you hoped they would or that you were told they would. And that can be a difficult thing to give voice to, I think. Yeah. I love the way you said that. Judy Garland is singing it almost from the perspective of, I mean, there's hope in there and there's dreams and possibilities. But what happens when things don't work out that way and you don't attain your dreams singing it from that perspective i think tori is really good at that and really good at shifting the focus you know just kind of adjusting the lens kind of like a focus puller just adjusting the lens and seeing things from a completely different angle just by like turning the camera just a tiny little bit or adjusting the light to get a different shade on the rainbow god i love that i had that experience today and bear with me people I was listening to Smash Mouth. Well, I was at work and somebody had put on All Star by Smash Mouth. And I said to them, have you ever Googled or gone to YouTube and typed in All Star, but, and then like a hundred different videos pop up, like All Star, but it gets 15 times faster every time he says the word the, or All Star, but every word is somebody, 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 somebody. I already feel crazy. It's amazing. Well, there's one that says All Star, but it's in a minor key, so it makes you want to die. And it is the most beautiful cover of All Star by Smash Mouth. It is so touching. I We were like around work. We were all crying. I need to hear this. It's amazing. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with the finger and a thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, they used to So anyway, I love that that's what Tori does and that she does it well and she knows she's doing it and that she knows she has that gift to do it, you know, early in her career, right away. Smells like teen spirit, purple rain, somewhere over the rainbow. God. So let's talk a little bit more about this pairing with me and a gun. Yeah. Interesting because me and a gun took on even more resonance or became even more of a centerpiece of the do drop in shows and it was clearly not a new song. It was from Little Earthquakes. So she was continuing to work through something. And I think that tour in general was a lot about healing, mm-hmm. as is Over the Rainbow. So I think that pairing kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there's a healing there or a moving towards healing or resolving something, but also that acknowledgement that sometimes awful things happen too on the way. So in that on the sense, way I to think, getting your dream. Right. 
so in that sense, I think that pairing is very strong. That makes that, complete That's a sense. very effective pairing. Yeah. I miss when Tori had a handful of what I would consider signature covers in her repertoire and things that would show up regularly. And Over the Rainbow became one of those, but I'm talking about A Landslide or A Case of You. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those songs have disappeared more or less on recent tours. Mm-hmm. And she's chosen to do different covers every night and kind of make that kind of a novel part of the show. Mm-hmm. But I do miss when she had... When they could pop up anywhere on the set list. Yeah. yeah. And that when she had a small handful of songs that clearly really meant something to her personally. Yeah. And that she took ownership of and you could almost believe that she had written them yeah or that you can see that she wished she'd written them Mm -hmm. yeah i miss that too but she still has those covers and they incorporate onto the set list not necessarily in piano bar all the time like rattlesnakes can pop up anywhere it's interesting to see which ones have stuck around because she talked so much early on about not doing a lot of covers by women which was true but of that of that original group of songs that she did frequently, the ones that she still does are pretty much all by women. Yeah. She still does A Case of You. She still does Landslide. She still does Over the Rainbow. Yeah. And she's covered a lot of Stevie Nicks now at this point. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women just in general. I'm glad she kind of dropped that idea. I think once she established herself as an artist of merit, a creative talent with her own gifts and her own unique voice, once she established that and, pe- and like didn't need the approval or wasn't afraid to be compared to someone because she knew what she was bringing to the table. I think once that happened, it's like, okay, like right around 0205, it's like, okay, any cover goes. The, the moment she covered In Dream of Sheep in 05 by Kate Bush, the moment that happened, I was like, okay, all bets are off. She'll do anything by any woman. It's Yeah. And that was a good turning point in a good way. I agree with that. And she had nothing, not that she ever had something to prove, right. but I think she had reached a new level of comfort. Well, and she did have something to prove to herself. Yeah. I think that she was, I mean, after going through everything that she'd gone through to get Little Earthquakes together, I think that's why she worked so hard. I think that's why the press cycle, obviously we pay attention to Tori and not any other artist as much, but there's a lot of press. She was working really hard. She always does. Yeah. Always has. Mm. But I think early on, in the interest of maybe challenging herself, but also separating herself from the pack, if she was going to do a cover, it was going to be from a different genre or an artist that didn't resemble her at all. Because of that gift that she has of mm-hmm. like really changing the perspective. Yes. Yeah, I agree. What's been your favorite early cover? Pre-Over the Rainbow, pre-96. You know I love Bad Company. I love Bad Company. I love it. I'll tell you something. Bad Company is one that I have only started to love in the last six months, but I really love it. Once I connected to the actual song itself, the non-Tory version, the version by Bad Company, yeah. I realized like what she was doing, and I have been really into Bad Company lately. And there's been a lot of 94 bootlegs popping up, and Bad Company's been, I think, on one or two of them, maybe one. Yeah, I love it. We had a long discussion once, I don't know if you remember, that ended up in my car where we listened to it. For some reason, <laughs> I was going on and on about Bad Company and we listened to it. It's really good. It was one of the most romantic nights of my life that wasn't actually romantic. <laughs> platonic mantic? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Platonic. You know, you just want to sit in your car with someone sometimes and listen to Tory covers and <laughs> cry. If you want that, we are the men for you. Oh, my gosh. If they don't know that by now. Right. Call us, tell us where, <laughs> what state you're in, and we'll be there. <laughs> Let's get into a line by line. And I had to convince David that we should do a line by line. And here's why. 
goes back to what you just said, David. The handful of covers that songs that you could almost believe she wrote. This still falls into that. So the lines, I know that she didn't technically write it, but they seem so personal to her. So let's figure out what she's singing about. All right, fine. But I'm just going to need you to explain one thing then. Fine. The sandwich song. How did we justify doing a line by line of that? That was foreplay. But we did. That was... Not London Girls, but we did sandwich song. The sandwich song, that was her really working hard to get Mark. You know, that was a little, you know... I think the sandwich song was something fun between her and Mark. That's why it's called That's What I Like Mick. Mock. Mac. Mick. Yeah. That's enough about that. What were you about to say? She was working hard to get Mark at that point? She was working hard to turn Mark on. Oh my God. I love that. I wish I could trap a man with a song. Not, <sighs> not trap. That's not the right word. <laughs> Calm down, man trap. Seduce. Elicit any interest from at all is what I meant to say. What song would it be? If I knew the answer to that, then... <laughs> I'd be there with my siren song right now. I'd be like one step at further. At the Jamaica Inn. <laughs> If you could have all just seen the way Eve's arm went over his head. That was my siren. It was It was like it was like my siren wiggle. Hypnotic. Thank you. Deeply erotic. Ew. As erotic as snow cherries from France, <laughs> some might say. Some misguided journalists might say. Line by line, shall we? Alright. So even that first line, I think, offers so much fantasy. Somewhere over the rainbow, you're already dreaming of something else or being somewhere else, right? Or looking at something else. Yes. And I'm assuming you don't have this experience, but even just reading these words on paper, I'm picturing the sepia of the movie, The Mm -hmm. Wizard of Oz, and Judy Garland singing that in the farmyard. Mm -hmm. That is, again, such... An iconic moment of cinema. That is a magical movie moment, yeah, for sure. You can't look at a rainbow without a faraway look in your eyes, right? You also, when you're daydreaming, you have that faraway look in your eyes. So there's something perfectly paired there where it just feels like, okay, even though I don't get Judy Garland or Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz instantly coming to my mind, it's not too long before I get the picture of her like on her, with her chin on her hands, just kind of looking out. That's embedded too. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. There's a land that I had in We know what Dorothy's talking about, right? Oz, which is itself a symbol for dreams, possibilities, right? Where you can have everything you want. Is that would is that how you would describe it? I guess so. And at this point in the movie, you know, she doesn't know that Oz exists. Right. So she's not necessarily specifically singing about that. But what kind of triggers the moment in the song is her aunt essentially telling her to stay out of trouble. Mm. And she sort of dreamily looks off in the distance and says, somewhere where there isn't any trouble, and then sort of leans into the song. So... What do you think Tori's thinking about a land I've heard of once in a lullaby? Somewhere where there isn't any trouble. Yeah. Really? Oh, where the healing and peace are? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll take it back to me in a gun. To me, that also pairs kind of beautifully with I haven't seen Barbados. Like someplace Mm, I have to get to. Yeah. And just the idea of it is going to somehow pull me through this experience. You're right. You're right.
So you're going to get through this experience and you're going to find peace. There will be healing. There's a place where it all is peaceful. Where the skies are blue, you'll have gotten through this. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And that dream that you did to dream really do come Dreams, huh? Deep sigh, dreams. I love the dreams that you dare to dream. You have to dare to dream. I think that's actually really powerful. It takes a lot of courage to dream. It and does. The, the word dream sounds kind of silly, I guess, but to give voice to something heartfelt and meaningful to you takes a lot of courage, I think, because there is that possibility of disappointment or even the vulnerability of saying what you really want or need, I mm -hmm. guess. What you long for. And to keep that dream alive takes a lot of courage, you're right, that you're daring to dream to be something different or better or that you want to be. One day I wish upon a star Wake up where the clouds are far behind me Why not today? Why is it someday in the future I'll wish upon a star? It's all about sort of projecting yourself to a place or destination in the future. And it's kind of always around the corner or the next step. And you To visualize yourself there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or just that yearning that your dreams will come true. Like maybe someday I'll wish upon a star and my dreams will come true. Mm. But maybe not today. Well, Tori Judy. Where troubles melt like lemon drops. Like lemon heads? Lemon drop. Like what's, I don't think I've ever had a lemon drop. I've had a lemon head. I would imagine it's like a gummy candy. Yeah. Like a gummy lemon yeah. candy. Way above the chimney tops that find me. Floating in the sky on that other side of the rainbow. Wow. Beautiful words. so sad if they also... can do it why can't i do it yeah. why does it seem like everyone else yeah is making it there or living my dreams yeah. and i'm not able to yeah and that resonates with you right too strongly those those eyes you're giving me <laughs> i mean that resonates with me too i think that on many levels with many people this is this resonates we all have wishes we all have dreams that we haven't attained that we see other people doing what we want to do or should think we should be doing i think it's relatable absolutely and of course that's why so many people respond to the song aside from the fact that it's a beautiful song mm -hmm. just in terms of the melody as a song structure mm -hmm. obviously it strikes a chord with people mm -hmm. 
So to say that they're doing it and I'm not doing it, why can't I do it, really puts her dreaming or wishing that she could be that. Wishing and dreaming upon a star. I love that they're happy little bluebirds. Mm -hmm. That almost seems like they're simple. Mm -hmm. And it's also kind of reminding me of a line like, with their perfect wings, a wing can cover all sorts of things. Yeah. Like things aren't always as simple as they seem or maybe just because someone else seems to have it all together. There's probably a lot more going on underneath the surface, maybe. I'm glad that we did the line by line. I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's very sweet. I can see how if you are attuned to it and attuned to the message that it would give you strength and hope. I'm hung up on the word sweet a little bit. Sorry, I got lost in that for a second. (laughs) Why? Because that to me implies that there's something kind of sickening about it. And I guess because this song references rainbows and lemon drops, you might as well like throw a unicorn on it while you're at it. But the song, I don't know. It doesn't seem that way to to me at all. There is that yearning for hope that's not just about like, chase those dreams, girl. Here's the thing too. Yes. When Tori sings it, I feel a yearning for hope. I feel so sad. I don't find it sweet when Tori sings it. It makes me sad. Mm. But... I'm looking at the words. Then the reason I chose the word sweet is because I can see moments like, and I don't even mean sweet because of the imagery of the lemon drops and the bluebirds. I just mean sweet like the idea of dreaming and then kind of putting away those dreams like at the end of the song and going about your housework and sweeping the porch or whatever. It's a sweet idea for a little girl. I just mean genuinely sweet. I feel very, just just the lyrics. I understand what you're saying. I guess I have more associations with this song than I was aware of or remembered. I do think it's interesting that Judy Garland continued to sing the song for the rest of her life and that it was, of course, a signature song. I wouldn't have been surprised if someone who did have a hard life, whose career took a turn later on, would want to distance herself from that point a little bit. Like it would be a painful memory almost, but she never stopped singing that song. And I think it took on that meaning for her too, that she was always reaching for something, but also the way Tori has talked about the song, that sometimes things don't work out or there's pain along the way. Do you think Judy was singing it from that perspective as well, the Tori perspective as she got older? I do, and I'm not at all any kind of Judy Garland expert whatsoever, but for some reason, I've, you know, if there's something on TV, some kind of documentary, I'll usually end up watching it. And I do remember at some point in her life, she was recording audio tapes of herself talking as like a form of a diary, I think. And, you know, she had addiction problems, and I think on like a lot of the tapes, she was kind of under the influence or on something and she wasn't necessarily in her right mind and it's really kind of sad to hear and at one point she's talking about this song like i could never get over the rainbow or i tried to get over the rainbow and it is from what i remember maybe Mm. we should find it it's harrowing so i have to believe that that's everything that the song held for her yes i can do something besides sing you know i don't always have to sing a song There is something besides the man that got away over the rainbow or the trolley song. There's a woman. There are three children. There's me. There's a lot of life going here. I wanted to believe. And I tried my damnedest to believe 
in the rainbow that I tried to get over, and I couldn't. So what? Lots of people can't. But I'm not lots of people. I'm me. I'm the one who's had to live with me. Should we listen to Yanta's cover and discuss it? Sure. Okay, let's do that. Someone calling? Is this Hey Jupiter? Nope. It's over the rainbow. It does have that kind of similar echo. Which means, I mean, it's a kind of devastating song if you think of it with a similar intro to Hey Jupiter. compliment, but it's not going to sound like it. This is making me feel like I'm watching a slideshow at my own memorial service. (laughs) Pictures (laughs) of my life. sad I mean the song itself is you know supposed to be a hopeful song right there's a wistfulness but you know Tori certainly has a knack for drawing out the melancholy in any song right right Now we're getting somewhere, Tori. Just kidding. We've been going there the whole time. This arrangement is also, especially that piece, is reminding me a little bit of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which would make sense since that's also a Judy Garland song. Yeah, but that and that's also like devastatingly (laughs) tragic. We 
You know, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to listen to Yanta's transcriptions and his own covers of these songs because trying to be hopeful in a painful situation is one thing, but when you actually hear it stripped away from the vocals and you realize just how it seems she's almost like in the pit of despair, (laughs) making that connection to Hey Jupiter at the beginning, but also it's just, I don't know, it gave me all the feels. So I'm glad that we have an opportunity because Yanta has done this. Thank you, Yanta. Please support him. Patreon.com slash Yanta. I agree. And it's crazy that just listening to that for three or four minutes, whatever it was, totally shifted, like, I don't know, the energy in the room and Mm -hmm. our mood. We both just sat here Mm -hmm. kind of in silence listening to it. So it's actually really powerful. Also, I wonder, I I mean, of course, I would love for Tori to listen to the show, but I would really love for her to listen to the show, particularly to hear Yanta's transcriptions. Because he does such an incredible job. I wonder if she's ever heard the song without her vocals. You know, I, I was thinking, like, does she... She probably doesn't play... Maybe she does, but it would surprise me to find out if she plays these songs without the vocals. And if she's never played the song without the vocals, does she realize how how sad it is? And, I mean, I'm sure she does. And I'm sure that's the point. But I want her to hear it, the instrumental. Not only does he do an incredible, incredible job with the transcriptions, but of emulating her particular style. Yeah. And I've said this on the show before, but Tori has a very unique style mm-hmm. of playing the piano. And it, to me, is instantly recognizable as her. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. fact that he can recreate that is incredible. And something about Over the Rainbow highlighted that for me. Her style is very fluid. It kind of rolls, so to speak. There's a separation in the chords and she adds a lot of grace notes which is something i've always picked up on and i've said this before too i kind of want to ask her at some point did that just come naturally to you or did you kind of develop that style over time and how intentional is it because i don't think anyone else plays quite that way Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not her intention ever to have these songs heard without the vocals but the playing is so beautiful i think i think she should just do instrumentals of everything and especially since she's gotten to martian maybe the pele tracks you can't really separate the instrumental or the piano from the vocals because of the way it was recorded but i would purchase a collection of tori instrumentals take my money now take no question about it absolutely wouldn't it be great if she did that but she had to like redo the songs and so she just followed Yanta's transcriptions <laughs> or she just stole them and put them out with her name on it <laughs> people yeah, would believe it that sound good god anyway thanks Yanta please support Yanta at patreon.com slash Yanta he's almost done with her entire catalog and we're almost done with the Pele b-sides so we're each working at our own pace here <laughs> so Yanta get it Perfection can't be rushed. Right. Not the way we do it. We add a lot of grace notes. Our style is very fluid. Very fluid. Very legato. (laughs) It's not a conversation between us and the piano, but it's a conversation between us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, David. 
You want to hear this cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Hit me. This is the PS22 chorus. Oh. Oh, you thought it was devastating when Tori sang it. Listen to a group of children sing it. Those cherubs. Right back to get into the live section, David. How about that? I'm ready. Okay, be back in just a minute. BRB. This is a cover of Over the Rainbow by Sun Ra and his orchestra. Made it to the live section, the alive section. We're almost over that rainbow. And it's the final live section of the Pele B-Sides. You, you always give me something new to mourn. I know. <laughs> this, we've mentioned it, but this is the last Pele B-Side. Isn't that sad? It is. But we're, we're still in the Pele era. There's still things that we'll do from the Pele era. But the, as far as Pele B-sides, yeah. official B-sides, this is it. Done and done. But from here on out, B-sides period kind of dwindle. Mm-hmm. There are certainly mm-hmm. a handful from Choir Girl, but not nearly this many. Mm-hmm. So enjoy and it while it lasts, the people. Scarlet's Hidden Treasures, but which still. aren't technically B-sides. But, right. you know. Um, she's actually done this a couple of times on television, David. Wow. Tell me, tell me more. Ooh. Well, she did it once on MTV's Unplugged on April 11th, 1996. And that's where it said the title Over the Rainbow. And I was like, you can't just change the title. (laughs) Turns out they got it right. Turns out they finally got it right. Why do you think she chose to do that? I would be really interested to know if it was on the set list, like it was always intended to be on MTV's Unplugged. And knowing Tori in her later years, how on Legs and Boots, if she ever did Rattlesnakes in concert, they would cut it out of the Legs and Boots series so they wouldn't have to pay for it. 
you know, she changed I Feel the Earth Move out of Take to the Sky and put Muhammad, my friend, in when she was doing Sunny Florida. So she wouldn't have to, you know, knowing her now, I wonder if that was actually on the set list or if she was just having such a hard time that day. You know, it's infamous that she had a really tough time recording Unplugged. I'm wondering if she was just having such a hard time that it came out as a comfort for her. That's kind of what my instinct would be to say. Right. That she wasn't intending on performing it, but like you said, she sort of needed something that felt like a warm blanket of sorts to sort of soothe herself with. Something that she knew she could play well, that she just, that brought her back to kind of like a centered place, which on April 11th, 1996, it wasn't that long after when she was on Jules Holland and he plays Judy Garland for her, you know, so. And this is like a couple months into Do Drop In. Had she been performing it? She had only debuted it a couple weeks before that. All right. We'll get to the the bottom of it. So it was present, but I'm kind of feeling like this performance in particular sparked something and it became more of a regular thing on that tour. Yeah. And I feel like it wouldn't necessarily have made its way to the set list if she's planning out the set list before she goes on stage and has a meltdown. I don't think necessarily she would have put this on there. Whatever was going on that day, I still feel like it was a really fantastic performance of uh, not only this song, but all of Unplugged. Whatever the circumstances were, it was kind of a nice moment to have. But again, an interesting choice because up until this point in her career, this was probably one of the most high-profile mainstream platforms she'd been on. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, that was, dare I say, a cool, a cool thing yeah. for her to be able to do. Yeah. So, song she choice was, cool. was pivotal, I think. Yeah. That's back when she was cool. And right. It was considered cool to like Tori Amos. Right. It's interesting because I don't know that many shows right now where it's cool to be on, as you know, for a musician. Saturday Night Live still is a platform, I think. But they're not, they don't do Unplugged anymore. They don't do Storytellers anymore. Like, Why what's don't the sh- they? I don't know. I don't know. They stopped doing Storytellers a long time ago, and I always wondered why. Mm -hmm. Maybe because the musicians today suck. What are you going to do? Have Cardi B tell her story about drugging and sexually abusing men? And then I wrote this song. Hit it, boys. Like, no. I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to sound like an old person, (laughs) but maybe there aren't that many artists who are popular enough in terms of what the viewership would be who could actually hold their own on shows like that. Like in an acoustic setting? Yeah. I'm sure there are, and I'm sure there's plenty of artists, but I don't know. I don't know. It used to be cool to be on those shows. It used to be cool to like Tori. <laughs> We're still cool. Anyway, so here it is from Unplugged, MTV's Unplugged, on April 11th, 1996. She also did it again on VH1 Crossroads. Here's that. Some 
I loved it. Crossroads, yeah. again, another kind of mainstream platform for her. And she does several covers and sugar. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. She showed up that day and this is like, this is what I want to do. That's another show, Crossroads, that was cool. <laughs> Like Joan Osborne wasn't she did she did a Crossroads Melissa Etheridge mm-hmm. yeah we I miss shows like that the woman who hosted Crossroads she was like Sean Colvin and Nancy Grace had a baby maybe that's not true but that's how I remember <laughs> I her remember it She's Sean like, Colvin and Nancy Grace should have a baby they should <laughs> it's like make drinking that from a fire hydrant I mean this is the nineties science we could make that happen yeah right? yeah this song has a very interesting live history so let's just get into it yeah. Yes. So in 1992, what's funny is that we don't have a recording of the very first time she ever performed it, but there's a quote about the very first time she ever performed it very specifically. Would you like to read that quote? Yes, I would. So she performed it for the first time on June 9th, 1992 in Stuttgart, Germany, which we don't have a recording for, but the reason we know she performed it live is because of this quote. Tori says, yes, it is true. My heroes come out of the 70s and are mainly men, though I rather like the things of Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand, and Joni Mitchell. And the article goes on to say, as an aside, which you could convince yourself of at the last concert, where you could hear Somewhere Over the Rainbow and Moon as the last encore and, as she stresses, the first time in front of an audience. So confirming this is the first time performed in front of an audience. And there's rarely a quote that says that was the first time she played that in front of an audience when we don't have a recording. I'm sorry, excuse my ignorance. Is Moon a Joni Mitchell song? So I did a little research on that exact thing because I don't know what Moon is, but I did find, thanks to Spotify, she could be talking about Moon River by Judy Garland. I mean, that's one thing, right? Possible. Maybe. I'd actually love to hear that. I mean, that would be amazing. She also could be talking about The Woman in the Moon by Barbara Streisand, or Barbara Streisand also does a cover of Moon River, or she, you know, she could also be talking about the Joni Mitchell song, Moon at the Window, or Judgment of the Moon and Stars. So Did this journalist also do the titles for Unplugged? Let's just call it Moon. <laughs> Let's just call it Moon. Voodoo. Whatever, voodoo. Or she could be, maybe she had a song called Moon that we never heard that was in consideration for her next album. Oh, great. Add that to the pile of things we need to get to the bottom of yeah. <laughs> So, anyhow. But fascinating, because I don't think any or very few of the surviving little earthquake set lists include any interesting covers aside from the usual suspects from the u.s crucify ep and like whole lot of love or mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. so okay so she performed it that one time and she may have performed it many more times on the little earthquakes tour but the set list starting complete so we know for sure she performed it at least one time so should we get to 94 yeah well she didn't perform it in 94 that is actually hard to believe. Not I know. even one time. Not, not that, I mean, again, the set lists are incomplete. Yeah. But as far as we know, there's no record of her performing it in 1994. Okay. So she's forgotten about it until Jules Holland throws it in her face. <laughs> Shocks her. She really hates a surprise the same way Oprah does. <laughs> you know, as soon as they were done, she turned and she was like, never do that Don't to me again. Ever do that to me again. In 1996, Tori performed it 38 times on the Do Drop In Tour, David. It's quite a bit. Here's from May 2nd in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania.
And again on May 14th in New York City. New York City. Get a rope. I actually got that joke, David. That's from the salsa commercial. It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> yeah, I got that joke. I'm a child of the 90s. have a recording of it but she did perform it one time in zurich switzerland so to go from 38 times in on the Dewdrop in tour to one time unplugged there's a few songs that have that kind of drop off would you say yes i know that to be true i'm at a loss for an example at the like moment, hey jupiter but for example yeah didn't get performed nearly as much unplugged, unplugged yes you're right of course as it got performed almost every night uh-huh. on do drop in right so I feel like she's happy, she's married, she's with the band, she's trying something new. <laughs> These devastating songs that she's worked through, that she's performed a lot, maybe she's put them away. She's put her leather back on the shelf. I know, right? Remember how hilarious and lighthearted those performances of Cruel and I.I.E. were? I know. <laughs> she's having fun out there. Look at her go. Slapstick. It's slapstick. <laughs> so let's move to 1999, where she performs... Somewhere Over the Rainbow, one time. And it was in Providence, Rhode Island on November 30th. Let's listen to that. Roll it, Oliver. strange so strange after performing it only one time in 98 one time in 99 she performs it 11 times in 2001 that makes sense to me what do you think not only was it a solo tour but i feel like this kind of makes sense in our post 9-11 world Mm. the atmosphere Mm -hmm. in which that that tour tour, took place yeah um that tour was very distinct looking back across her tour history would you say would you agree I would. And again, it had, it seemed like it had been a very long time in those days since she'd had a solo tour. Yeah. So there was a unique energy about that too. And, an and excitement. It, yeah. Yeah. And I think it would have been totally different if she'd been on a band tour post 9-11. Yeah, for sure. So that piece, the fact that she was on the road and that she happened to be solo, I'm kind of glad that that worked out the way that it did because mm-hmm. I think it really supported what people were needing mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. in a way that a band tour might not have. Right. If you look back at just the performance of time on Letterman and imagine the whole tour feeling that way, <laughs> that's kind of what it was. Which it basically did. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what it was. We needed, we needed to heal. So here's a performance from The Strange Little Tour. This is October 9th in New York City.
What do you think of that intro? Interesting. Well, that strikes me as pretty queer. <laughs> Here, thank heaven for little boys with Over the Rainbow. You think all songs are queer? I do. <laughs> well, they're going through my queer ears. <laughs> um, this is October 30th in New Orleans. We've made it to Scarlet's Walk. Ugh. That was Scarlet walking. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, she's heavy-footed. Heavy-footed. She pigeon-toed? Like, what's happening? <laughs> um, she performs it five times on this tour. And here's one from San Francisco, California, December 20th, 2002. Were you there? No, I was not. Speaking of queer, over the rainbow in San Francisco, uh, what's next? You're going to lift your lamp, lady? <laughs> <laughs> On the Lot of Pianos tour, she performs it twice. I was oh, just, right, because we consider that a separate tour. Yeah, I was just waiting for you to have something to say about it. <laughs> you know I don't like that. Um, this is Chicago, Illinois on August 11th, my friend Erica's birthday. Happy birthday, Erica. Happy birthday.
was good. Yeah. So then we get to the Summer of Sin. Here, here's our sound cue for that. Oh, that's just a bunch of fire because it was very hot. A crackling fire. But yeah. It was sizzling. It was <laughs> We're a walking on the summer. sun. <laughs> this is from Ridgefield, Washington on September 9th. Performed it three times on that hot summer. Mm. Do you think it was a request when this showed up? I feel like it's reached that status. There's only a smattering of plays. Two from 2003, three from 2005. I feel like it must be a request every time she plays it. Mm. Or, you know, at least gets it in her mind and then she plays it again. Someone probably asked for Rainbow Connection and she's like, no, but how about Somewhere with the Rainbow? <laughs> Actually, we know someone who asked for Rainbow Connection who? for a long time. Who? Maggie Farley. Really? Yeah. Wow. I hope I'm not misremembering that, but I'm pretty sure. Wow. She was like really gunning for it. That's a and beautiful Tori song. Was I bet Tori not would do it. Really? having it. I don't think she even entertained it. Really? No. <laughs> she would now. Maybe. She would do a Rocky the Raccoon or what was that called? And yeah. Then, and a Rainbow Connection double header. Totally. Yeah. Rainbow Connection is a beautiful song, actually. And I bet she would make it really tragic. Yeah, inside. I'm not going to fight you on that. I agree. I would actually like to hear that. Me too. Let's gun for it for in the 2022. No, I'm going to save my request. <laughs> I'm still working on Police Me solo. You can have more than one. No, not if you're doing something big. And this is my advice to you who will go out there and tour. If you're working on something big, you stick to it. You think about it. You run it by your friends. You really visualize, like, would that be something that would be, like, something that people would want to hear? Would it, like, make the legendary Hall of Fame bootleg recordings? You're generous you ask yourself is that something other people would want to hear you know i don't give a fuck i mean no, well I'm here's the thing hotel solo like i didn't care and in fact our dear friend dor dotson tried to dissuade me several times what i don't think i know this part of the story yeah, what so, did she say we toured through england and the well we basically toured the whole uk and ireland and i have her on tape several times saying like Oh, great. Hotel Solo. Because I would be like, wouldn't Hotel Solo be amazing? She'd be like, yeah, if she didn't make it 20 minutes long. Burn. But, I mean, she didn't seem as enthused about it as I was. Nobody was. But she did it, and I loved it, and it's legendary. It's the only time she's ever done it solo. So it's got to be like that. That's why I'm working on Snowblind, which I, I love that song. All right. This takes me back to, have you asked yourself if that's something people would want to hear? I don't think so. Yeah, not with Snowblind, but with Police Me, if she did it solo. I think what if be... she did Snowblind and Snow Angel? I would and love Glitter. it. Oh, my God. Well, she did an all-winter show, an totally. all-Christmas show. One of those L.A. shows in 2017 should have been an all-Christmas show. It got pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Hotel for a second. Based okay. on that solo acoustic performance, do you think Tori should release a 25th anniversary acoustic version of Choir Girl called From the Choir Girl Motel? I think she should, but I don't think she should call it that. Okay. So, That's no. the part you have a problem with? Yeah. From what the Choir Girl it? Bed and Breakfast. <laughs> I think Motel is cute. From the Choir Girl Airbnb. Okay. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yeah. Okay. That creepy doll, you know what year it is? 2007. She performs it four times on the American Doll Posse Tour. And here's one from Manchester, England on the 5th of July. Ooh. 
Exciting, no? Hmm. Um, she performs it again in Perth, Australia on September 27th. And here is that. that this would be a Clyde song if another doll were to perform it? Yeah, of course, Clyde. Okay. No, I don't think she would have given this to any other doll, though. No, certainly not. No. On the Sinful Attraction Tour in 2009, we know it because it was sinful and it was attractive. Mm-hmm, just like me. She performs it four times, and the tour debut for that tour was in Vienna on May 6th. This one, I would sing from my mom when no one would be around and um, my mom had big dreams but she put them away and she would sit and play me records and then I would see her sit in her chair and look far away from being a minister's wife and running in a field, being a little girl again, having those dreams. And sometimes I would play this for my mom. this woman <laughs> did you just realize that no i knew that for a while sometimes i i fancy like running for president i could never why not Marianne williamson is well i know but she doesn't have nearly as many grinder nudes as i've thrown out there into the world <laughs> i don't think that's true <laughs> one I mean, of these she, days someone's gonna dig up some dirt love, on her you can tell <laughs> You know the way she does it. She could give Sting a run for his money. <laughs> tantric? Make Tantric look like child's play. I she's know. on the astral realm, like oh, merging yes. with your soul. She's, <laughs> yeah, she's levitating. Her partners are levitating. Over the rainbow. I mm. am the rainbow. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Marianne Williamson loves to smash. But sometimes I fancy running for president. And then I think, like, they're going to use my hours and hours and hours and hours of talking about Tori Amos against me. 
in my presidential debate, someone will be like, you know, I'll be debating on the stage. I'll have made it that far. I'll have gotten 130,000 unique donors to get to the second debates and I'll be debating, I don't know, Bernie Sanders and he'll be just, because he'll still be alive. And he'll just say something like, this is not anything you know about. This isn't Tory Amos. Yeah, they're going to be like, did you support busing to Bentley Helms? (laughs) Yeah, they're going to find our outtakes and everything. They'll become Patreon supporters just just to nail us. I could run for president though. I have a lot of great policy ideas. That's a different podcast. I got time. In 2011, on the night of Hunter's tour, Tori performed it one time, and that one time took place in Copenhagen. never been to Copenhagen. Do you think you will? I, yeah, I'm assuming that's where she's going to go on the next tour. Probably. What if she did like a residency in Copenhagen? At the Copenhagen Cabana? No. <laughs> the Copenhagen the Cabana. Co- exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I can't wait to do this next tour. I, I want to go everywhere. I want to go everywhere, David. I want to go over the rainbow. You're going to go where she goes? I want to go where it. she goes. In 2014 on Unrepentant Geraldine's... <laughs> She performs it four times. And this one is my favorite because it has the oysters intro. And you know how much I love oysters. Yeah. The song, not the food. They're an aphrodisiac. Yeah. No, I've never found them to be. Mm. Mm -mm, They're just, they're, no, no. Anyway, here's July 19th in Jacksonville. Florida on that your tour. life <laughs> don't you though no um i wasn't there either if it makes you feel better it does okay it does <laughs> i don't like to be left out fomo um she did perform it four times in 2014 but in 2017 she performed it two times and here's one that i was at she talks about her mother in the beginning these may be fake muses but they're quite hot i like them very much They've never done anything bad to me, particularly this one coming up. 
one of my very faves. One of Mary's faves. She can sing this one. So this is going out to Mary. And you can sing along with me. She loves to sing along. was a special show, right? That was October 26th in Madison, and yes, it was. Did you get a little Motor Maids? That's the show that Robin went backstage with Aaron Russell after uh, the post-show meet and greet. Mm-hmm. And Tori was like, I like that guy who does the podcast. I like that guy. Did you talk to her before the show that day? I had talked to her before the show. What did you say? <laughs> well, I remember what I said exactly because I'd rehearsed it, obviously. We always rehearse what we're going to say. And I never go to two meet and greets in a row, ever. This tour was a little different because I was doing the pre-show. Mm-hmm. And I would go to all the meet and greets, but I wouldn't talk to her for most of them you know i would stay kind of like in the background and i not even not even get you would in the walk line. up to her and just stare blankly well that's what she did during the new orleans meeting well great. but <laughs> she'd lost her voice right no i had said to her like listen girl i never do to me girl though i tried to give off that energy but i don't think i said girl. like i'm breezy i don't care yeah, like, i don't care whatever like i, I was like monica and friends <laughs> right like you can't say you're breezy <laughs> fancy no, I was trying to give off that like cool energy. Uh-huh. And I was like, listen, I never do two meet and greets in a row, but I forgot to ask you because the show before was Minneapolis, St. Paul. And we, everybody had seen her, you know, and it was very, I was very nervous. And she was like, whatever. Like she was very excited about the podcast and I got her permission to do the after show, um, the tour all night after show, which she loved that idea. But then Can you imagine if she said no. Uh, yeah. I was, Don't you dare speak to other people about me. <laughs> yeah. Don't you dare speak to the fans after the show. <laughs> She loved that idea, and so anyway, but I had forgotten to ask her to judge the costume contest, which, if you remember, Madison was on the 26th of October, and the and Halloween falls on the 31st of October. So I was five days away from Halloween, and I'd already started promoting this costume contest. So I was like, oh, crap, I forgot to ask her, because there was so much going on in that first show. So I was like, listen, girl, I don't like to ever do two meet and greets in a row, but I forgot to ask you. We're doing a costume contest where everybody's dressing up as their favorite Tory from all the eras, you know, whatever tour they want to be and would you judge the costume contest and she asked me what that meant and I said well you know we pick our three favorites at the end you see all the you see all the costumes and then we pick our three favorites at, or you pick your three favorites at the end and then she was like well I wouldn't want to hurt anyone's feelings and she's like can I bring husband to judge with me and I said of course like you should get everybody to judge with you but she didn't right no she didn't but she did see every single person that at that Halloween meet and greet and then we, she and I judged them together, which was probably one of the best experiences of my oh, life. Man, I hope I one day get the opportunity to sit back and judge people with Tori. Right. <laughs> All of the costumes were amazing that day. For those of you who are in Madison. They uh, really were. But they, no one did what I was hoping someone would do what? or maybe what I would have attempted to do. What? I wanted choir girl Tori and I wanted someone to bring a sheet of plexiglass <gasps> and stand there and like press up against it. That would have been great. I know. Well, there was a clear winner that day because Melanie and Marco did breastfeed feeding the pig Tori yes and they performed it for her and we it was a really special day 
So anyway, that's what that was. So shall we move on to the very last time she's performed it to date? Yes, we should. This is Over the Rainbow with Take Me With You, another song I adore. Mm. And this is November 10th in Atlanta. And I remember being drunk at this show and very, very moved by this song at that moment. I don't know. I was in the the right headspace for it. You know, someone requested it that day. I I feel like somebody must have. Mm -hmm. And there was a meet and greet that day. I didn't go to it. I didn't talk to her because I don't do that. Again, an interesting pairing with Take Me With You, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is sort of yearning for escape, Yeah, maybe. God, I love this song. Well, I'm going to go cry now, I guess. That was the last time she performed it to date, and that was in Atlanta, 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all said, she's performed it a total of 73 times live. Frankly, that's about twice what I would have guessed. About Half of that, almost exactly how many times she performed it in Do Drop In. Yeah. So she's performed it over her entire career, same amount of times as she performed it on Do Drop In. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? It is. So it, it just supports the theory that she was working through something on the Do Drop In tour and this song was helping her in some way. Mm-hmm. Or that she was really connected to the song at that moment in her life. And I definitely do connect it with that particular era. Even mm-hmm. though she's continued to play it, it certainly has not been a staple in the same sense. Yeah. And, you know, with the Unplugged performance and the Hey Jupiter EP, it was very present and I will always associate Over the Rainbow with Boys for Pele era. Yes, so agree. Do you think that she does as well? I don't think she has the same associations that we do or right. memory or awareness. Like it would probably take someone telling her, reminding her that she played this that many times on Do Drop In. I'll bet she has no idea. Who would ever remind her of these things? Yeah. Who would ever count them up and put them in order and then remind her of these Not things. Me. Well, do you have anything to say before we wrap up the voice for Paley B-Sides? Or should we just keep talking? Let's keep talking. Listen, because then it never has to end. Yeah. Like, yeah. We can banter, right? We can, yeah, we can banter until the cows come home. Tell we me a story. Ba- okay, should we start again with this old man? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it, but add some bass. Should we <laughs> should just add bass to all our tracks? Yeah. Just redo all our tracks, but with a bass line? We can do whatever we want. This is our church, chief. I know a bass player. He could just come in and play bass as we redo the episodes. Oh, that'll be amazing. We should redo Alamo with the, with some bass. We actually should. Okay. Or maybe it's like an April Fool's Day. We should put it out again and just have someone like boom, idly strumming boom, bass boom, in boom. the yeah. background. I think it'd be great. I we do should too, do it. actually. Um, I don't want the Pele B-sides to end. I know. I didn't want Pele period to end. I yeah. don't want Pele period to end. So you should say Boys for Pele. This will be the last time you say it in that way. And that song was a B-side from her third album. Boys for Pele. That's it. Which is way easier for me to say than Little Earthquake. I don't know why I stumble over that. Little Earthquake. I don't know why either. Little 
earthquake. Practice saying from the Choir Girl Hotel because that's the next thing you're going to say. I need some warm-up exercises. From, from the, the choir-, choir Girl Hotel. And I'm going to throw my arm up in the air like that every time I say it. From the Choir Girl Hotel. From the Choir Girl Hotel. Anyway, it's time to go. Okay. <laughs> This is one of my favorite remixes to play at the end of the show. This is the Boy Who Can remix mm. of Up the Creek. Good Lord. Good Lord. Good Lord. Gotta be. It's gotta be big. Good Lord. Can we do a mashup? He should. Of, of the, the Boy widow. Who Can. The Boy Who Can, if you're listening, do a remix. Can you hear us? Can you boy hear us, the can? Boy Who Can? I got a very special surprise coming up for the Choir Girl season as far as remixes go. Oh. I can't say a word, though. Can you tell me off air? Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> <laughs> I almost believe you. <laughs> no, this has been fun. The whole Pele Is era. this what you're like at the end of a first date? Well, this has been fun. Good night. <laughs> Slam. No, it has been fun. The whole Pele era has been fun. You know what? This is something I've learned from the Pele era of doing this podcast is I started the Pele era in a relationship with a person that I thought I was going to marry. And I've, through the course of Pele, broken up with that person. Do you blame Tori for the demise of He'll, that relationship? No, I don't. I blame. I do. I don't blame anybody. That's just, not, you know, it wasn't right for me. So anyhow, I've healed from that relationship. It's been almost three long years that we've been doing Pele. That's not true. Two years. It's been two and a half years that we've been doing Pele. I think that actually kind of makes sense because Tori, you know, roughly had two years between her albums at that point. Still Mm -hmm. does. Two Mm -hmm. and a half between Mm -hmm. Pele Choir Girl. So we're right on time. Well, we put out the primer and horses in April of 2017. Mm -hmm. So it's been two years. It hasn't quite been two and a half years. So whatever. Whatever, we're on our own schedule. We are, but let's not, not young forget time. everything else we've done. We've all done the drive on night pluses and the Little Earthquakes remastered is, is. Yeah, don't forget the Little Earthquakes remaster, which you can get on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash songs of If you're a $10 subscriber, you can get our Little Earthquakes remastered sessions. Do it. Reconditioned. If you like what we do, you can always support us on Patreon, like I just said. But there's a million different ways you can support us. You can support us by writing an iTunes review. You can support us by asking a question for the Torical for our daily show, Never Shut Up. You can support us by emailing us your thoughts on any song. You can follow us on social media, at Songs of Tori Amos, across all platforms. You can sign up for our newsletter on our website, songsoftoriamus.com. What else can they do, David? They can click their heels together three times and say there's no place like the Choir Girl Hotel, because that's where we're going. I know, we're headed there. Oh, my God. Book your room. We got a group rate. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the Pele era is officially over. Do you have any final parting words? All right, words? but don't get carried away thinking that spark is the next episode yeah don't because yeah. we're gonna make a pit stop yeah we have i mean the tracks between pele that have nothing to do with pele we've got siren there's blue skies there's landslide there's i'm on fire mm-hmm. there's so many we're gonna do separate episodes for finn and pariso perdido perdido i cannot wait for finn <laughs> the finn episode yeah <sighs> we're gonna do our own cover thank you you started doing it now <sighs> Which kind of sounds like what she claims to have done in the back of her church on Christmas Eve. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Ah. Oh, we're a delight. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want us to run for president. <laughs> we could co-president this country. Are, are we running running mates or like where am I? Am, I, do a better am job. I just at the tent outside of your campaign no, headquarters? Gonna, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll be co-presidents though. I don't need, this country needs a co-presidentship. I don't need to be in charge. I can be secretary. Okay, you can be vice. President. <laughs> I'll be the res- I'll be the president. Okay. That sounds good. (laughs) 
This well, is why we get along so well. We're both so accommodating. So goddamn agreeable. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Sorry that Pele's over. But we got great things on the horizon. Yeah, and Eve healed his life. I healed my life. What did you guys do? I'm excited about the choir girl season coming up soon. Thank you for listening. Pele out. Gone but not forgotten. Peace out, Pele. Boys. Boys. Boys, boys, boys. Pele. Boys. Pele. For Pele. Boys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamus.com.